Today's episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is brought to you by Briarcrest College and our friends at Compassion Canada. So I would say to leaders, the best thing you could do because you've been given the space of time is to get on your face and get the blueprint for what it looks like for you and your congregation in this season direct from the, from the throne room of God. And it's possible. And every house is going to look different. Don't look to the left, to the right. Know your people. Know what God is saying to your people. Well, hey, everyone, it's Jason here, and we want to welcome you to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, our guest is Pastor Alex Seeley. Alex and her husband, Henry, lead the Belonging Co., which is a church experiencing massive growth and global influence based in Nashville, Tennessee. Alex is an inspiring leader, great Bible teacher, and an author. I first met Alex in Vancouver when she was visiting as a guest for Worship Central Conference, and I noticed this then, and I know you'll notice this in the podcast today. She's got a deep conviction to always point people, uh, especially leaders, to a place of intimacy and personal connection with the Holy Spirit. And I know you're going to love hearing her story and the wisdom that she shared with us in this conversation. So here's my conversation with Alex. Well, hey, Alex, so grateful for your time, for you being here. Thanks for making time with us today. Well, it's great to be with you, Jason. Um, You're in Nashville, and uh, I love Nashville. Love visiting your church. It was such an honor. It was such an incredible experience. Uh, I don't think there's any place I've been quite like it. Um, and I know that you love that city and God's done a, a real deep work in your heart. And I just would love to hear for those listening, just your chance for you to unpack a little bit about like, what are the unique challenges and opportunities for a local church pastoring in a city like Nashville? Yeah, well, it was, you know, something we never thought we would do because who needs, number one, it, there, there's almost a dichotomy in Nashville because it feels like there's a church in every corner. So it's very saturated by church, yet it's a very transient city. And Mm. it's a city that is where everybody comes to fulfill a dream. So you've got people who um, don't really want to build the local church. They want to build their career, their life. You've got people who travel in and out of that city. And then there's a very severe religious spirit over the city. So Mm. in essence, as a person trying to start up a church or minister and have a church in Nashville, there are many challenges and they're like threefold. So you've got the one fold of no one kind of being there regularly, consistently. Secondly, most people who come to build their own career and dreams are literally focused on themselves. But then you've got a very religious spirit that you have to combat, especially when you come with the breath of Holy Spirit and you're bringing in it. And, and I'm a woman as well, like we're in the South, uh, which is kind of like the buckle of the, the Bible belt, if you like, and women are not celebrated on pulpits. Mm. So there's many challenges that we've, we faced pioneering a church, but the spirit of God, when it is released and when it comes in power and in, in the potency that it does, it does something and it shakes a city. And so it's actually on one hand been very effortless to build a church in Nashville because of the spirit of God, because I think it's what people are truly hungry for. But I think to to begin a church in a methodical way of 
startup land and getting a team. And I think it would be a gruelling nightmare for most people. So, um, yeah, the challenges are, I don't know if you think of, if you actually know about spiritual principalities and powers over certain cities, you know, but I think ours is definitely spirit of religion and that whole entertainment um, God of, of, of worship of music, you know, music is a big deal here. So. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that one of the tasks for every pastor is to figure out what are the other gods that are fighting to be worshipped in the city. And you can, I, I, I agree with you in the most spiritual sense. And if, if you're not comfortable with that spiritual language, I mean, you see it, whether you put in spiritual terms or not, there are things warring for people's attention and, uh, and within the church, not just without the church, you know, outside the church. One thing that's so interesting about your story is you, you and your husband had a really fulfilling dynamic ministry in Australia before you moved to Nashville. And so I'd love to hear the story of Belonging Co., but could we start like, take us a little bit more back and we got time, we're not in a rush, just your story in ministry and then what brought you to America? Yeah, well, I mean, my husband and I, we met in youth group, you know, we were uh, best friends for three years and uh, I really just come into serving the Lord at, um, you know, my early 20, I was just 20 when I really decided to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You know, I'd always been a Christian since I was 11, but it was at 20 that I I decided mm. this is it. So I joined the youth group. I was like, well, I've got to serve. I've just got to serve. And so my husband and I were serving in our teenage youth group, and that's where we met. And something took place in uh, 1997 uh, where God just poured out his spirit upon our youth ministry. And it was about a thousand mm. kids at the time. And um God just rocked it and, and we grew this conference called Planet Shakers that went from, you know, nothing to tens of thousands of people. Every year we would travel Australia and do these massive conferences in every state. And from that, we pioneered a church in Melbourne, Australia with our senior pastors that went from zero to 10,000 in a really, really short time. And so my husband and I basically met dated, got married, had children, all in the thrust of this flourishing ministry that grew overnight, really. And we thought we were going to be there forever because, you know, Henry was the worship director. I was the pastoral oversight of the church, you know, at the time with uh, regions. We we had to split the church in regions because it got so big. Um, Henry was traveling the world, you know, producing albums and leading worship. And we were like, this is amazing, but there became two or three years prior to us moving to America, there was an agitation in both mm. Henry and I. And um, everything that felt right didn't feel right anymore. Everything that was so amazing wasn't amazing anymore. And we thought we were becoming negative, like what has happened? Like, and 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 the things started changing and shifting. And now in hindsight, I know that to be God ruffling the feathers to get out of the nest, to fly the coop and actually go to another place. But at the time, you you can sometimes be very confused when you've grown up in a ministry and you've dedicated your life to it and things start to shift. And sometimes you can take it for face value that it becomes a negative experience, like Mm. doors are closing and it seems like you're being sidelined over here. But actually, to understand now in maturity, that was a God's doing. But at the time, I had to really sift, what are you doing, God? So while it was flourishing and we were at the pinnacle of our ministry, if you like, 
God was like, it's time to go. And so there was this agitation and rustling, especially in my husband. And he kind of led the way and was like, oh, I think we have to, I think it's time to go. And I resisted it. I was like, no, we've been, we've pledged this ministry for life. You know, we're going to be here forever. And I love Australia. He says, I really think it's America. And I'm like, well, you can go. I'm staying. I ain't going to America. I love Australia. I love our free healthcare. No, I'm joking. And um, I, I really didn't want to go to America until God began to work on my heart. And for a good year and a half, he began to stir my heart for the nation of the United States of America. And, you know, supernaturally, we got green cards in a way that, we shouldn't have. And so God was leading us. And so there we find ourselves in, if you like, a wilderness experience Mm. that I was like, God, why have you taken us from the pinnacle of something? And you've literally brought us to like a deserted place. We don't know anybody. We don't, we're not part of a church. We don't have a job. But it was two years prior that he did say to me, will you go to nothing with nothing carry the presence of God with you. Mm. And at the time I couldn't say yes, because it scared me. Um, But then God dealt with my heart and I said, yeah, we're ready. And that's when it all started to, um, to flow. And so that's how we found ourselves in Nashville. So it was a complete step of faith. It was a complete uh, career suicide, if you like, in the natural, but we knew we were being led by, by the hand of God. I love that. I think it's an increasingly more relevant this conversation because I think in some ways every pastor feels like they're meant to lead into the unknown right now. We're just, and I know that in Nashville, the COVID restrictions might look different. Um, I know where I am. We've got no clear picture. Can we meet over certain size groups? How long? And so I think a lot of Christian leaders feel like they're leading into the unknown. And I just wonder if there's any, I mean, I really respect you, Alex. And I just would love to hear you talk on any of these themes, but just, for leaders that are like feeling this sense of, I know what it means to lead when I know the variables, but now the variables have all changed. What does that look like? Like what, what are the principles to find courage to lead in a season like that? Well, it's funny you should ask that because I remember when this hit, this COVID season hit, everyone was scrambling, everyone was freaking out. And Henry and I, and this isn't to, to sound braggy, but we were like, oh, here we are again, eight years later. Yeah. It, we've literally done this before and we only did it eight years ago. And the beauty of the way we pioneered the belonging was so loosely handed that we had nothing to lose. Like, so when we began church, we didn't even know we were beginning a church. So Mm. we got to this point when God grew the belonging in our basement to over 120 people without trying, without advertising, without a plan, without a core team, without structure, without all of these things, without finance, without a budget, we had nothing but the presence of God. And yet God grew his church supernaturally Mm. and effortlessly. So I remember going, if you did that eight years ago without us even trying, then God, you're asking us again to go around and get back on our faces and say, how do you need us to lead this time? Because honestly, Jason, it was one of those things where I was like, I have nothing to lose. I don't feel like 
I have to man this. I have to champion this. I, I have never felt so under that scripture that, you know, unless God builds his church, the labor is built in vain. I, I felt like I was living that. I felt like I was living God is building his church and I am not having to labor. And if we as leaders think that we've got to labor, Henry and I, we've kept it really low key and been intentional just to present exactly how we've been presenting. No more, no less. Mm. Because I've got to trust that I have poured into my body that when a crisis like this evolves, that they are equipped because that's my role as a pastor. My mm. role has been to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My role is not to be the babysitter of a, of a human through a pandemic, to guide, to lead, to pray. So I would say to leaders, the best thing you could do because you've been given the space of time is to get on your face and get the blueprint for what it looks like for you and your congregation in this season direct from the, from the throne room of God. And it's possible. And every house is going to look different. Don't look to the left, to the right. Know your people. Know what God is saying to your people. And, and don't underestimate how much they are okay. Mm. <laughs> I think we've tried to manage our people so much that it's made us frantic. And you have to learn how to pivot in these times because God will build his church. We've had more people uh, spoken to more reach than ever before by being at home. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. It's so interesting the language you used. Um, we had Tim Hughes on earlier this week chatting and he, his words, I want to get this right. His, his words to pastors were really like identifying fear and comparison as drivers right now. And that's just what you, you talk about, the fear of losing people. And then you said, don't look to the right or the left, this comparison, because other churches are like doing things that maybe you don't have the resources to do, or they're opening up, but you don't feel like you can or vice versa. And those are, those are killing people right now. I think you just have to know, this is what I've got in my hand. I've got to do what is in my hand and God will bless that which is in your hand rather than looking at, you know, other churches that are getting that, this, that, and the other. And I just think I've just not been worried. Our giving never, never dropped one week because again, we'd equipped the saints pre pandemic to be prepared, whether you're in plenty or in lack, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And I think that's been the true testament of the fruit of our house. I think when a crisis comes, you realize what's inside. And I, we were really pleased to see that not the majority of our church didn't fall apart. And, and we have, again, a touring community that everybody lost their jobs like everybody, you know. So again, wow. learning how to pivot with that. You just have to keep focused on your people. That's all I care about is, you know, mm. our people. So I don't know if that helps. It helps a ton. I appreciate you sharing that. 
Well, hey, we're gonna jump back into this conversation in just a second, but before we do, I wanna share a little bit about the work of Compassion Canada. As you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a massive impact on our whole world, and this includes the global development work to combat the effects of poverty. And so I wanna highlight the work of Compassion because they're on the front lines of global development serving the most vulnerable, who are experiencing the most negative effects of food shortages and decreased access to education. We have an opportunity as a local church here in Canada and beyond to continue to partner with organizations like Compassion who are aiming to relieve poverty and respond effectively to the negative repercussions of this pandemic in our world. For my wife, Rach, and I, we've been on a journey over time with Compassion. It began first with child sponsorship program and then it's grown over time. And what's encouraged us the most and what we found really meaningful is that as we discovered more and more about the DNA of Compassion, we found out that they work specifically with local churches. Like they are passionate about the local church, deep in the values and culture of Compassion Canada and their global partners is a desire to work with the local church in the regions around the world so they can bring development, service and holistic care all in the name of Jesus and in a way that lifts up the churches in that community. And that's one reason amongst many why we're so excited to partner with Compassion on this podcast. Here's the picture. Here's the dream in our heart. What if churches in Canada were able to support churches around the world who are reaching the most vulnerable? Compassion can be a bridge for us to do just that. So I want to encourage you, reach out to the team at Compassion and find out more about what they're up to, specifically in the midst of this pandemic. Find out what it means or what it could look like to build a bridge with Compassion to support local churches around the world as they reach out to the least of these in Jesus' name. You can find out a ton more about this at ccln.ca slash compassion. Okay, let's jump back into today's conversation. Um, one thing I know is a huge value for you is you, in your own life, you live into this, but then as you're empowering your staff and other leaders, this idea of like that internal work, you know, a lot of uh, ministry on the stage is like some stuff, the stuff that people see, and you're always trying to drive people's attention to what's the, the work that people don't see. And I just wonder if we could park there a little bit and just kind of, first of all, explain what you mean a little bit about, about that passion you have for that deep heart work in the hearts of believers. Yeah, well, I think just like the scripture says that out of the heart, every issue of life flows from it, right? You can't escape it. The heart is the seat of our being and everything, good, bad, toxic, ugly, flows out of it. And you can't hide issues of the heart. You can try and mask them, but they, they come out eventually. And I think in ministry, we God's so much more concerned with our heart than he is with our deeds, like what we do. Because motivation is everything. He looks at the heart. He's going to judge the heart. He's the only one that can judge the heart. Mm. He's the one that, you know, if you compare Saul and David, it was the heart that won over. It wasn't, you know, the, the conquests and the exploits. It was the motivation. It was the obedience because a heart is going to be contrite or it's going to be selfish. It's going to be self-centered. And when a minister can do all the performance on the outside, but the heart isn't pure and clean, there is no point. Um, it's like having love you know, saying that you love, but it's just noise because your motivation is wrong. It's just like clanging symbols. You know, you can prophesy, you can do all these sorts of things, but if you do not have love, your heart's not right. 
then it all it's all a wash to God. And so for me, I think for years and years and years, I noticed an outward gift that was on people's lives that the gifts of God are given to us without repentance. Therefore, our gift is what God gives us. But sometimes we confuse our gift with our reward. Like we go, well, mm. I'm gifted and God's moving through me. Therefore, no matter how I'm living, the gift's still working. And so we take that as, oh, well, I, I'm being rewarded. But actually, the gift of God is given to you without repentance. You'll give that back when you go to heaven. But what you will present to the Lord at the end of your life is your heart. He's going mm. to judge the motivations of your heart. He's going to judge that everything that you said with your mouth, that you did with your hands, he's going to put it through fire and it will be tested and what will remain. But I think a lot of ministers don't think that deeply. We don't, we sometimes don't think with eternity in mind. We think the now, we think the temporal, we think immediate results. We think accolade, we think followers, we think influence, we think popularity. We, and God's like, none of that impresses me. I mm. want to know that what you've done in the secret place has come from a pure heart, clean hands, pure heart. And so for me, I've I'm very intentional about leading our, our leaders and our people and our worship team and all the people because there's a lot of talent in the world and there's a lot of gift in the world. But unfortunately, there, there's a real lack of character in the world. And I believe God loves to, loves a heart, a pure heart. You know, David was a man after God's heart because he said, why, why did he say that? He said, because he will do everything that I ask him to do. When you, when your heart is pure, it's tethered to the Father and you obey. And God just wants obedience more than sacrifice. He wants obedience and he wants a heart that does everything out of a selfless ambition. He wants us to serve it because it's about the kingdom. It's not about our platform. It's not about our name. And so we are really vigilant about tending to, to the heart because yeah. I believe it's inward, outward rather than outward, inward. And I think when you deal with the inward, there comes an authority because there's a lot of, again, uh, charisma and there's a lot of uh, eloquence, but there's very few that, that have an authority when mm. they minister. And that's where I think it comes from. You're in an environment where there's so much talent. I mean, it's Nashville. It's, it's not just the center of Christian music, but you know, country music and so much more. And so visiting your church a while ago with our friend, Daryl Johnson, I was carrying his Bible and just wanted to experience the belonging and just so struck by the quality, obviously, of people. And I just think that must present unique challenges to pastor people with such gifting to, to worry about the heart and just wanna know any insight that you have about coming alongside people who maybe like, clearly they're gifted with natural strength, but God's hands on their life uh, and they're being affirmed so broadly and there's so much temptation for money or influence. And then to call those individuals to know God, to even be part of like a local church volunteer structure, like these are crazy things. And so I just would love some insight for you from you from that experience. Yeah, this has been the hugest 
part of, I think, why the belonging has such a strong anointing on it is because a lot of people from the outside looking in would say, well, of co- well, I actually had a woman once say to me, well, of course your worship's amazing. I mean, look who's on your, yeah. you know. And I said, oh, but you've missed the missing part. I said, the reason why you feel a tangible presence of God is not the talent. It's the spirit behind it. I said, because what you guys don't know and which we don't advertise is these guys, we don't pay them. We don't, they're not guests to the belonging for a worship recording. I said, these guys have come into our midst and we've had them sit for a season to get repaired on the inside. Mm. So where most people would see that gift come into their church and quickly thrust them on the platform because they're a draw card, we've done the opposite and tended to the issues of their heart and had them get clean and healed and pure before they ever grace that platform. And so, you know, when you've got someone like Natalie Grant, who is on a roster and, you know, is on planning center and has to abide by the, you know, that that, there's no problem because what's happened is everyone that's come through our team realize we are servant leaders first. We are not names. We are not. The only great one is Jesus. So... Mm. We make sure all of that has been tended to. So we, and people don't believe it, but we don't have any diva. We don't have any altercations. We don't have jealousy. We don't have all that musician's politics behind the curtain. And I can honestly, I, everyone always says that, that knows us. They said, Alex, you guys have to show a way to the world that behind the curtain of the belonging, it's as pure behind the curtain as it is mm. when you're experiencing the worship. And that takes intentionality. It is a slow burn. And I believe that the year and a half that we had in the basement did the work first. We were hidden for a season. Mm. And the, the likes of Carrie Job and Cody Carnes and, and, and all these people were coming in the basement and they were getting healed, set free and delivered. And that was then a notable difference. So they would go on the road and people would say, why is your worship leading different? There's wow. something different. Oh, and they would say, God's changed my life from the inside out. My church, my church, they've taken us to the throne room. They've shown us inner healing. They, I, I, I'm no longer a mess, you know, like, it's all this stuff, whereas most people go, oh, gift, we're not going to tend to your issues, your tantrums, your, you know, whatever, but I, I won't allow that. I would rather have no one on our stage. And in fact, you were at that conference last September, but what you didn't see is the day of rehearsal before the day before the night, opening night, I had every musician and singer in a room because I felt the Holy Spirit take me to Malachi and say some of them are bringing tainted, lame sacrifices to the altar and we will not have that. And there was sin in the camp and there were issues of the heart. And I said, we will not allow you to be on that stage this week until we purify and bring to the Father the sacrifice and the... uh, 
the worship that he deserves. And everyone was prostrate on the floor in the hidden, dealing with their crap. And therefore, what you got to experience was the mm -hmm. overflow of pure hands and clean hearts. And I was ready to scrap the lot of them. <laughs> I was like, guys, we don't play with the presence of God. We are under grace in the new covenant. But if you brought what you have inside of you in the Old Testament, you'd be struck dead in the Holy of Holies. So don't ever take it for granted. Let's clean our hearts. And it takes a leader that can sense and discern, but isn't going to overlook and go there. Mm. Truth in love, true discipleship is, hey, like Jesus, he would always go, ah, I don't like that attitude. Ah, where's your faith? But then he would bring them up. So there's mm. truth in love, but there's a taking them to something that then produces this beautiful, pure sound of worship. And I think it's very necessary in the church. I just feel like I want to tell people listening, like, it is such a unique environment, like being at the belonging and experience in the worship. And you know, like it's visually, it was, it was engaging and musically it was engaging, but this, the presence of God. And the, you know what else stood out to me is there was a sense that you weren't in a hurry. Yes. It's like, hey, we're not in a hurry right now. And, and conferences are great because it affords that. But even I think in your gatherings on Sunday, there's a sense of like, hey, God sets the timeline here. And this idea of the presence of God and bringing to people the presence of God, that can sometimes sound, I mean, maybe for different people that has different connotations. I just would love to hear you talk. I mean, it's such a deep passion for you. When you talk about in your personal life, you know, cultivating just that journey with the presence of the Holy Spirit and then in gatherings, just, yeah, help us unpack that a little bit more for people listening saying, maybe I want that, but I don't know what that even looks like. Yeah, I think a lot of people have always asked us, why does it feel different? You know, why is it that when we come into your church or you come to your conference, you feel the tangible presence of Holy Spirit? And I said, well, number one, it has to be an overflow of what's happening in you individually. So I can't not cultivate that personally and think it's just going to turn up corporately. And I think a lot of people think it's this thing that the Holy Spirit just turns on like a tap and then turns off when we leave. And it's actually an overflow of what's already taken place in mine and say Henry's life. And so we've taught our people how to linger in the presence of God. Like, what does it mean to have a relationship with Holy Spirit? Number one is you need to know who Holy Spirit is as a person. I think sometimes we think of him as some force and some thing, you know, some feeling, but he's a person. He's a person of the Godhead. And Jesus was really uh, intentional about telling his disciples, hey, guys, don't you dare go anywhere until you're clothed with power from on high. Don't, don't start going and preaching in my name, laying hands on people in my name until the power of the Holy Spirit's come upon you because mm. I have to go because my work here is done. But it's better that I go because who I'm going to leave with you is the comforter, the counsellor, the guide, the teacher. Basically, I'm leaving you me in spirit. And so wait for that. Get to know him like I have 
engaged with him. I mean, Jesus did nothing apart from Holy Spirit. He listened to the Father and it was the Spirit that led him. It was the Spirit that guided him. It was the Spirit that worked through him. And so who are we to think that we can engage without knowing Holy Spirit as a person? So before you can have this in your meetings, pastors, leaders, I implore you, I exhort you, Get to know Holy Spirit as a person for your own personal life because when that takes place, it changes everything. So I can sit in a meeting and I can just close my eyes and I can say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Mm. And you feel, you sense something. Like you go, because I've acknowledged I'm inviting the person to come. I'm inviting somebody to come to have his way. I'm not getting in the way. So many of us have an idea and then we ask God to bless it rather than just say, Lord, why don't you lead this and let him lead it and you follow. And it's all about having a listening ear and a prompt, following those prompts. And that's all we do is follow the little senses like, oh, okay, you want to go here now. I just, I got to drop in a thought to, to maybe not preach today. Like just, just wait. Sometimes we're too scared to be silent in the presence of God because mm. we think we have to fill in the blanks all the time. But sometimes that silence actually brings such a weightiness of his presence. And so, and because we're all wired for the presence of Holy Spirit, we all know it when he comes. Mm. And people want that real tangible presence of Holy Spirit. So my encouragement is you, you, you have to cultivate it in your own personal life and then it flows from that. I know for you, part of this, as you develop leaders and you even alluded to this in like the hidden places, you kind of hint at this idea of people dealing with some of their past wounds. And so often we bring our past into, and then we're promoted into ministry and we're leading and we're trying to lead other people out of brokenness and we're still dealing with our own brokenness and knowing that's a lifelong journey, but there is a real sense. And I've heard you speak before about you know, even preparing for ministry and the deep work. Can you talk about that idea specifically of dealing with some of that past as you look forward to a life in ministry? 100%. I think first and foremost, we just have to get honest that we've all got a story and that we've all got junk. Like all of us have had some sort of dysfunction in our lives. Like whether you even came from a really beautiful family, there's still dysfunction and there's still wounding. There's church wounding, there's leadership wounding, there's uh, sexual abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's uh, just bullying. You, Whatever you have gone through in life, the enemy's assignment is to still kill and destroy you. And he's mm. going to use whatever medium, you know, right from a young age, your parents got divorced, you feel a sense of rejection. Uh, maybe you were adopted, you feel abandoned, you don't feel accepted and loved and, and like you belong anywhere. So there's a fracture in all of us, whatever life you've led. I mean, I had two beautiful parents, but there was a fracture in my mother because she hadn't dealt with her past abuse. So that abuse got passed on to me. And so even though I grew up in a Christian home, there were fractures of insecurity, fracture of rejection, fractures of, um, you know, feeling stupid words that have been spoken over our lives. So we've all got some sort of layer of dysfunction. 
what tends to happen is we get saved and we become Christians. Our sin has been dealt with. That's gone. Like we're a new creation in Christ. But there's still residual core belief systems that are still need to be broken. That's why we have to renew our mind. It's why we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we don't deal with these things and we pretend like everything's okay and, and we minister out of that fractured brokenness, it actually then continues to fracture and bro- break others. So like, for instance, insecurity is one of those symptoms that comes from any kind of dysfunction. If if you remain insecure, so you don't get a full revelation of the security of God's love for you, you're always going to be wondering. You lead from a place of, is this going to be taken from me? Is If anyone's better than me, the, the, the whole comparison thing becomes anxiety-driven. And all of these things then affect our ability to minister. So unless we deal with the root systems of those broken fractures, we will always have a limp, if you like, and not in the good sense of like Jacob's limp. We'll always have this limp that affects the way we lead. And so I am such a champion of inner healing. Let's get to the root because symptoms will constantly surface. So you could be an overeater, you could be a starve, you know, start someone who starves themselves. You could be somebody who shops excessively. You could be somebody who watches pornography privately. You could be somebody who has an anger problem in secret. You, you could be someone who lies, who gambles, who there's always some sort of symptom of comfort that you go to because that root has not been dealt with. So you can do all the outward manifestations in ministry but privately be warring with the dysfunction and the fractures. And so I am so of the the thought, (laughs) deal with the root of pain so that you can be completely free, so that you can minister from wholeness. And unfortunately, that's why we see a lot of uh, ministers who fall, because I think they don't deal with those fractures, cover them up with performance, and then one day it's gonna surface publicly and you, you've got to deal with your stuff. And that's, that's a hard issue. For pastors leading other young pastors, and you want to help lead them on a journey of identifying, coming to terms with, and then healing, what are some practical steps? So again, trying to think through, I know some people listening, they've got young teams. And um, if I can just speak for my peers and younger is um, full of ambition, full of a sense of hopefulness for the future and connectedness to resources and all that stuff. But the surfaceness, you know, like just very disconnected from our internal world. And so it's a challenge trying to think about how do we give young ministers opportunities to minister and to grow in their call of, on their life while also inviting them to tend to those deeper internal things. Any advice for what that looks like to lead people on that journey? Mm-hmm. I think discipleship is key. I think this is where the older generation has to lead the younger generation. So for instance, and even if they're only five years older, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, like Daryl, you know, leading a 20 year old. I'm just saying anybody that's got that, that experience that has gone before you, number one, as the, as the, the discipler, 
be vulnerable and transparent with your own stuff that you've dealt with. Don't deal in process with the younger generation while you're dealing with something. But after the fact, be honest, transparent and vulnerable because what that does is it gives permission for the younger generation to be transparent, vulnerable and mm. open. Because what happened in my years when we were growing up, it you never thought any of your superiors had ever done anything wrong. You were like, mm. oh, and, and which was a disservice because I then kept my pain private. I had an eating disorder for 20 years in ministry, mm. in ministry. Mm. And I was too afraid and ashamed to come out with that because my superiors looked perfect to me. And yeah. I felt like I was the only one dealing. And my, my root issue was rejection from my mother. It wasn't, the, but, but the eating disorder brought shame on me. When I was able to get free of that, deal with that, overcome that, now there's no problem with me going, yeah, I, I struggled with that, mm. but I'm free. And let me show you how I got there. So that then when others are struggling with something, it's going to be a lot less shameful to bring that up because you as the discipler have been transparent and open and gone, hey, I've been there. It just looked differently. Same principles though apply. And I think you've got to make space. So that's number one, you have to lead the way by with transparency. And number two, you have to make space for spiritual times where you're investing in the hearts of your younger leaders to give them room to confess and share. And so in our environment, especially with our worship leaders, twice a year, we take them away on a retreat. And again, we allow them to really deal with the issues of their heart, but make it a safe space. We're not doing it on a Sunday platform, altar call ministry. We're doing it in a discipleship format where I'm bringing a word, I'm bringing something that I believe the Holy Spirit's wanting to tend to their hearts, and then I'm giving them the opportunity to bring it out and confess um, in a safe space that then we can bring ministry and healing. And I think when you cultivate that as a practice, you're going to have really strong, because no one's going to be perfect. No one's, everyone's going to have something to deal with. So I'm not saying you have to wait till you get all your junk done and then, no, but in process, have grace for those and allow them the space to grow and be honest and transparent mm. as they grow into their calling. And I think it's really healthy. Mm. What's, um, what, what are you dreaming about as you think about the future of the church? You know, what has your imagination and your heart? I know we're in such strange times in this COVID pandemic and there's other sort of like shakings happening, you know, I think about civil rights and, uh, and, and that just makes me think, you know, God is, there's a shaking, you know, a shifting taking place. And, uh, I'm just curious, you know, where your heart and imagination, as you look on the horizon, what do you see out in front of us as the church? Yeah, I see an hour for the church to rise up in its most beautiful picture in our dark days. I actually feel like this is the spotlight for church to shine. It's most mm. bright and glorious. I don't see doom and gloom. I don't see fear and trepidation. I actually see an opportunity, but 
what I, what my passion, what, what I've been pleading from God, with God for, is the supernatural to be poured out. Because I believe in this climate that words, everybody's got an opinion, everybody's got a thought, everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got a platform, everybody's an influencer, everybody's a this, every, you know, the, everyone's an author, every, but where is the demonstration of power? And not in a weird way, not in a spooky way, but in a way where you, you are left breathless because you encountered a sign and a wonder that only God could have done. And that's what I believe so much of it is, is going to be t- like people will turn their eyes to Jesus when love is at the forefront. And I think the most miracles happen when there's compassion and love. So there's, a, there's going to be a, a love revolution that takes place with the church. We're no longer, because, you know, we're just seeing the church so divided. In America, it's just toxic and I don't like it. I, I'm watching, and it's very foreign to me because I'm Australian and so we don't have this political climate in Australia. And so you've got this political climate that you've got Christians against other Christians if you don't think the same way, talk to the same way. And we're, we're missing the point. And so I'm so grieved in my heart that while we're getting bogged down in conspiracy theories and political persuasions and our rights, and we're missing the fact that we should be head down, buried in the face of God and coming out as these beautiful beacons of light that the world is attracted to. And so that's my hope. That's my desire that we're raising a generation of disciples that carry the love and compassion, but married with the power and the demonstration of his power, of, of Jesus, um, to turn a world. Because I want to see revival again. I want to see it outpoured in a great way. So it's a big dream, but Amen. <laughs> it's possible. I love it. Why don't, would you pray for um, all the leaders and pastors listening before we sign off today? Absolutely. Oh, Father, we just, we just love you so much. And I can feel your presence even now. Holy Spirit, I, I know your heart for your people is just so, so tender. And you long to see a church rise up in all its glory and beauty. So God, I pray for every pastor and leader that is listening today those that are weary, those that are heavy burdened, those that are just a little confused, those that their heads just feel so cluttered to know what the next step is. God, I pray that even from this podcast that they would find a time to steal away in your presence so that they could just offload all of their burdens to you and be so refreshed in your presence that they would get clear vision that they would get laser beam vision of what is to come, that you would download into them who they are in you. Nothing more, nothing less, that when they carry your sonship as a seal, God, you begin to cause them to rise up knowing who they are, that they are full of authority and dominion, that whatever comes their way, that they are on the winning team. God, I pray that they would stand 
affirm that they would rise up as victors in this season, that they would be the carriers of your presence and they would see revival in their own churches, their homes, their communities, their just the, their spheres of influence. But God, they're not to look to anybody else but straight into the gaze of your eyes because you have every answer that we need. You have every good gift. It comes from you and above. You have every uh, breath in our lungs already um, detailed. So God, you know everything. So God, we just come contrite before you, surrendering our plans and our ways and throwing them at the foot of the cross and allowing you to come and just breathe upon us again and pour out fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh revelation so that we would uh, rise up full of faith and anticipation of what's to come. So God, I pray that you would breathe courage and expectation into every leader, that they would find the blueprint for their house, their homes, their churches to bring the revival and, and, and what you've ordained for them in this season and the season to come. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. So grateful. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you to Alex for making time to share with us today. If you want to connect more with Alex, you know, her writing, her speaking, her books, you can find all the links to her work and more at cclm.ca slash blog. In fact, we've got links to all of the show notes from all of our episodes there. So please check it out. And as always, we'll also have some of the highlights of this interview available there as well as on our Instagram and YouTube channels. Before we sign off today, I want to share some exciting news from our friends at Briarcrest College and Seminary. Briarcrest will be returning to campus this fall, and it's happening in person. In light of the pandemic, perhaps you or someone you know thought that your education plans would need to be put on hold, but that doesn't need to be the case. As you look to this next year, Briarcrest could be the school you're looking for. Here's what I know. Their courses are highly transferable to other Canadian universities. The community there is heavily focused on discipleship, and they've got world-class faculty that are geared towards shaping deep, passionate Christ followers. And my experience has been that every time I visit Briarcrest, I see the value that they bring to the lives of real people who want to make a kingdom impact on their world. So if you or someone you know is looking to explore a Christian post-secondary education, point them to Briarcrest to find out more. You can check out their Return to Campus ebook and webinar dates at briarcrestcollege.ca slash return. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.